Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It is now 8.07 here at WCCO. Welcome back. You are listening to Steel Talk, and I'm your host, Geraldine Steele, for 23 years, and I sure am excited that you are joining us tonight. Well, as you heard from Kelly earlier, who was joining us on the John Schuster um, um, hotline, I am so excited to introduce to you now a new book and the authors of that book. It's called Inflation, What It Is, why it's bad, and how to fix it. My goodness, we've talked about this over the years, haven't we? Inflation, inflation, inflation. Well, this book is by Steve Forbes, which we all know uh, a lot about, Nathan Lewis, and Elizabeth Ames. And Nathan Lewis is joining us tonight. Who is he? He is among the world's leading authorities on monetary policy and economic history. He is the author of The Magic Formula, The Timeless Secret to Economic Health and Prosperity, Gold, The Once and Future Money gold, the monetary Polaris, and gold, the final standard. My goodness, he's quite prolific. A Discovery Institute fellow, his writing has appeared in Forbes, the Financial Times, and elsewhere. He publishes the Polar's uh, Letter, a monthly investment newsletter available at newworldeconomics.com. Welcome to WCCO, Nathan. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's good to be here. My goodness, I'm sure you've been very busy, busy getting the word out about inflation. Tell us um, how this came to be and why it was important for you to be a part of it. Well, when we saw the reaction that central banks had to the COVID shock in 2020, and not just central banks, but but the but federal government and governments around the world, uh, basically spending a lot of money and also financing that money creation, uh, financing that spending essentially with money creation. Um, it was not directly connected, but that's what happened. And this is just a classic recipe for, for what we describe in the book is monetary inflation. We think the currencies around the world lost a su- substantial amount of value during that time. And now we're seeing the consequences of that. When currencies lose value, after a period of months and, and years, you start prices of everything start to cl- uh, climb up uh, to compensate, and that's exactly what's happening. However, we do know that money creation has been happening for a long time in this country. Correct. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, the, so go ahead. So then, if that is the case, money creation is absolutely at the forefront of the problem. Correct. Yes, well, money has to come from somewhere, so you have to create it, of course. Uh, but the but the the consequences of in in this case in 2020 excessive money creation was a decline in the value of the currency. And now, this is something new. 
relatively, well, it's not that new. It's been around for 50 years. Uh, but it's important to understand that we have floating fiat currencies in this country and all the other countries. They go up and down in value. And when they go down, and the long-term trend has been for a declining value. The dollar is worth much less today than it was worth in the 1960s. And when that happens, there are consequences, and the consequences are it takes more money to buy things. Right. And of course, COVID had a whole lot to do with it. A pandemic dropped in the middle of our country and the world obviously is going to affect our monetary um, abilities. And so my my biggest concern about inflation is that so many Americans hear definitions from various professionals, various uh, uh, people that we trust, the voices we trust, like you and, and, and of course, <clears throat> Steve Forbes and, and Elizabeth Ames. However, the definition come, sometimes varies. Can you give us a short definition of inflation? Well, that's something we had to deal with in the book up front. And it's even, on the, it's even on the cover. What is it? And unfortunately, this word inflation kind of arises from popular speech. Uh, people have tried to apply it to very specific things in the past and have kind of failed because no one cares what they think. And so we have to, at the outset, try to, to separate different actual macroeconomic processes, cause and effect, they're all being kind of thrown in the same stew pot. And and it's actually not very hard to understand. Um, Basically, we we separated between what we call uh, non-monetary factors. And this has nothing really to do with central banks. This is just supply and demand factors. We we know we're experiencing this. Uh, And typically, these happen in wartime in the past. Um, We had a big one in World War II. Um, this is really the first time we've had these kind of persistent supply uh, supply chain factors and other factors that ha- that have had as much effect uh, as they've had. But that's real. Um, there are non-monetary reasons for prices to go up and down. And then there are the monetary reasons. And the monetary reasons are real simple to understand. Like I said, we have floating fiat currencies. They are not stable in value. And we have these because basically central banks and governments want to attempt to you know, manipulate the macroeconomy, which is a new policy. We didn't have this prior to 1971, but we have it now. And when they do this, the long-term trend has been for declining currency value. I I estimate that the dollar today is worth, actually, I estimate it's worth about 150th of what it was worth in the 1960s, although although it differs from the CPI. And as long as we have this kind of let's fool with the economy with funny money system, which we've all grown, which we've all been living in, currencies will have a tendency to decline in value, which means in time they'll take more and more money to buy things. But the decline in value hits a specific part of Americans, right? Um, we know that it causes more poverty. Uh, it, it attacks those that have less than. They're not a part of the middle class. They are those that have less than. And so knowing that inflation can really cause or increase poverty, how do you deal with that? How do you see that from what perspective and what moves you to action? Uh, that's right. It's real it's simple to understand. If, if the currency loses value, then obviously the, the, the value of, of the money you're paid to work, your wages, goes down in value, in real value, not nominally. Um, the value of all your of most your assets, your stocks and bonds, are, are actually declining in value, and so it makes people poorer. Or as they used to say in the past, you can't devalue yourself to prosperity. Uh, we don't really have official devaluations anymore. They, the currency just kind of dribble away while no one's looking. They don't want to talk about it, but it happens. 
Um, you can't devalue yourself to prosperity. You can't you can't make people richer by reducing the value of their wages and their assets. Um, and you just see this around the world. Uh, the country with the worst with the worst currencies always have the worst outcomes. <laughs> I it used to take three Mexican pesos to buy a dollar in the early '90s. We have this example in the book. Now it takes twenty. You know, it takes six times more pesos. Guess what happened to prices in Mexico? They went up six times <laughs> compared to the United States. It's really easy to understand. And why, why it seems like, you know, we have the iPhone 13 now, it's amazing, but it seems like ever since we started this fiat money system in 1971, American family, you know, the middle class, the working people have had a real hard time getting ahead. Um, it seems like just to afford the things that one uh, middle class income used to afford in the 1960s now takes two incomes. Why is that? Well... Mm-hmm. Money's not worth as much. It's real simple. <laughs> but it feels like the rest of the world, not the world, the rest of, um, I should, well, the rest of the world, yeah, the big countries, the democracies, they know um, that you're eventually going to have inflation, that it's all part of the existence of being here on the planet, right? Uh, because the democracies cost a lot of money, right? The big challenge for me is trying to understand how is it that some countries deal with inflation so much better than we do? Well, actually, the United States has been among the United States track record is quite poor, I think. But nevertheless, it, it's been among the better the better countries. There hasn't been any that have been particularly better, which is why the United States dollar is still world's leading currency. But it's important to understand that uh, we didn't used to do things these way this way. We didn't have this funny money system that resulted in a long term decline in currency value. We had the stable value system uh, for almost two centuries up until 1971. The, the idea was to keep the dollar as stable in value as possible. And that way, you know, your income of $50,000, if you got a raise to 60000 that was real. That was a real increase in income. That wasn't just catching up to, you know, the rising price of gas or the you know, rising prices. Mm-hmm. It was a real increase. And that's how the middle class Americans went from. Uh, became the most prosperous middle class the world has ever seen in in the 1960s. That was, and we accomplished that, of course, with the gold standard system. I wrote three books about it, and and we had democracy too. We had also had democracy for nearly two centuries, although not as many social programs as we have today. Um, so, it's important for Americans to understand that we got rich and we were successful, a certain with a certain strategy. And now we're not following that strategy. And it seems like we have reached a sort of crisis era um, where maybe things will not muddle through and kind of reach their end game. Okay, so leadership is everything. So where do you believe we began this slide again? Uh, well, Richard Nixon was was famous for, for ending the gold standard era in the United States. Uh from the founding of the country in, in 1789 to 1971, the, the value of the dollar really didn't change. There was one devaluation in 1933 under Roosevelt. But except for that one change, uh, the value of the dollar basically didn't change. And now here we are. Um, you know, A barrel of oil used to cost three bucks in the 60s. Now it's 120. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, did oil become more valuable? No, it, it's your money. <laughs> and unfortunately, uh, you know, how... how can we get back maybe to that uh, to that system, the stable value system that made us wealthy in the past? Well, you know, in politics, things don't change until they have to change. Um, but also, it's important to hold, I think, to hold that idea in our heads. 
in, in our minds. What do we really want? Well, we want a, a currency, a dollar, which is not just central bankers play things so they can, I don't know, make excuses about the last recession, but which is reliable in the long term. And, and for those two centuries, we didn't have an inflation problem as long as we stuck with that principle. And we didn't have cryptocurrency. How is that affecting inflation? Uh, well, it's not really affecting at all uh, right now. But cryptocurrencies, by, its, by itself, the main cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and so forth, are kind of very unstable, speculative. Um, um, they kind of look mostly like gambling devices to me. Um, but it, it does hold the promise of what's known as stable coins, of a real alternative currencies. And these are kind of just getting started. But if central banks and governments are not going to behave themselves properly, give the people the kind of reliable means of transaction that they want and used to have in the past, then maybe the private sector can step in through some kind of crypto-based uh, system and, and, and provide that service. The book Inflation argues uh, that the best way to end inflation and to spur economic growth is through a return to a sound dollar anchored by gold. What gold? You know, no one seems to be able to know how much gold there is, if there is any. Well, the amount there has been over the over the over the decades, Mm -hmm. a little too much focus on on quantities of gold. And the real idea is you want to keep the value of the dollar stable versus gold. So gold is your anchor. Gold is a thing that you use to stabilize uh, your currency. So it's just a measure. If you say, you know, uh, to say uh, $35 per ounce of gold, which is what it was in the 1960s, it's kind of saying like a dollar that's 12 inches long. It's a measure, right? We want our dollar to be tw- exactly 12 inches long, not 10, not 8, not whatever Jay Powell makes up when he gets out of bed in the morning. We want it to be 12 today and tomorrow and next year and a deck 10 years from now. And that's what the gold standard accomplished. It, it's a way because we want it to be stable in value. And, the, and we've discovered over centuries that the most stable thing around is gold. So if you make your currency at the same value as gold, you achieve your goal. That's basically how it works. It doesn't really have to do with, you know, this many ounces in this vault over here or something like that. So inflation erodes the value of our money, Correct. Just want to make sure I got uh, that absolutely. straight. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so where do we go from here? Uh, well, you mean like make predictions about to where where uh, things are going? How do right we get now? out of this mess? Because we the inflation is like on our back. It's always on our back, and all of a sudden it comes to the front to the forefront, and we have to deal with it. It seems like it's just a part of the United States. It's maddening to me, and knowing how many people are adversely affected by it all. Every time we hear inflation, I, I am terrified there will be families that can't go and buy their groceries. I walked out of uh, one of our most um, well-known, uh, most expensive grocery stores right here in the Twin Cities, and I walked out with two bags and it cost me $92. And I didn't have any meat in that other than eggs, right? <laughs> I mean, you, you just start to look. And I feel very fortunate. I'm not wealthy like you are or like Steve Forbes is and that sort of thing. And, and maybe the the lightheartedness that you that you ex, exude in this conversation could be that you know and you are frustrated by inflation. You're frustrated that we're at this again. But for those that are really feeling it in their not just in their purses because it's 
it, it's just just never enough. It seems like it's the thing that we need to do. We're always told that inflation is something we have to deal with in order to get back on track, but we never seem to get back on track. What do you yes, say? Ex- exactly. Well, there, there are two things going on right now. One is we really do have these supply-demand issues. We really do have shortages of certain things, and the central bank can't fix that. You have to go and, you know, deal with truckers and deal with shipping and, and deal with production right. of, of automobiles and, and those things and housing and all those things. So you have to do that. And, and in the past, we did that very easily. For some reason, it's not working very well and government has something to do with that. Um, but then, uh, you know, sticking to the monetary side, the, the central bank, the management of the currency. Uh, yeah, we have we have lived in an inflationary era and it's probably going to get worse. Um is my is my crystal ball view, but we have to, and it makes people poor. You know, just as you know the the Mexican guys when their peso goes from three to dollar to twenty, uh, this, when our currency does something similar, which it it is doing, um, the same thing happens to us. You know, look at Mexico. You know, China got rich, Korea got rich, Mexicans still you know dinking around. 30 years later, uh, it's a, it's a road to stagnation. And the way that, the way that it is fixed, the way is to, as I mentioned, uh, stabilize the value of the currency. We have to, we, you, nobody got rich by, by devaluing the currency, you know, allowing the currency to decline in value. You have to stabilize it. And the politics being what it is, the pressures that are, it doesn't matter who, how smart the guy is at the central bank. They experience political pressures. And on balance, on average, you know, there's it kind of goes back and forth. But on average, the outcome of those political pressures that any human feels in that position leads them to make decisions that lead to declining currency value. And the, and, the, and and people understood this. People understood this when they wrote the Constitution. That's why it's in the Constitution. It says in Article One, "Gold and silver only shall be the money in this country." And we and we stuck by that rule for almost two centuries, and we became extremely wealthy. Uh, that is the long-term solution. How you do it? Um, in the short term, you can you can stabilize the value of the currency without necessarily linking it to gold. Uh, and Alan Greenspan did that during his more successful years. Um, but then that guy leaves, and some new guy comes in, and we have another round of the same old game. Uh, so it's only been a temporary solution. You know, I am a an African African American woman who is getting a master's degree, who has Mm -hmm. two children um, and three grandchildren. And I am terrified of what is happening to the poor, for those that have less than, that aren't even poor. They're just enough. They're ahead just enough to almost make it. And I cry tears. And what I hear from you, Nathan, is I hear joy in your voice. Maybe you're so sick of it. Maybe it's become a joke to many like you who feel like, gosh, we're in this again. I'm not quite sure of it. All I know is that I have really been moved by this interview that I don't, I, I'm very clear that what I thought I understood about inflation consistently plaguing us in this country. I don't really understand it like I should. And so I've got to do my homework more. Just know that just hearing a laughter from you when it talks about the poor, oh yeah, there's always going to be the poor, this sort of thing, 
it, it hurts me to my core. I have to stop myself from crying. So I understand that you have dealt with this. I know that you are probably really frustrated with it. But please understand on my side of the fence what it feels like to hear what this is doing to a certain group of people in this country. I thank you for joining me, for taking the time tonight, Nathan. And I do hope that I will be able to talk with you again. Sure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. You take care. All right. We're going to take a break, everyone. We'll be back. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast baseball is in full swing nba playoffs are heating up and your nfl team is gearing up for training camp listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the odyssey app the biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome back, everyone. It is now 835. Had to re- <laughs> Reconnect myself with my soul. I tell you, that was a difficult interview, but I am excited to introduce you to our next guest. Her name is Sharon Smith Akinsanya. Now, many of you may have heard of her. She is the one that is totally responsible um, f- uh, for the Crown Our Prince mural project. And if you have not seen this mural downtown Minneapolis, across the street from uh, First Avenue, you have got to go see it. It is absolutely stunning and so beautiful. Of course, um, Sharon Smith Akinsanya is the CEO of Ray McKenzie Group. Uh, and those that were also involved in making sure the, the crown of our Prince mural project comes to fruition is Joan Vordebergen, or Bruggen, 
forgive me, public art consultant and the Prince Mural Project. Um, they had one purpose, and that it was to see Prince recognized for his innumerable contributions to the city of Minneapolis and the state of Minnesota, and celebrated for his life and living legacy. She knows because she knew him well. Welcome, welcome, my friend. How are you? Hi, Geraldine. How are you? Doing well? Hey, I'm doing well, Sharon. You must finally be sleeping because you put your whole heart and soul into this project. Tell us how it began. Well, it began seven years ago, Geraldine, 2015. Actually, Prince was still with us. Yes. And we were having conversations about how, you know, how can we give him his roses while he was still here? And so, and you know, Joan, you know, Prince, he was, he didn't have a whole bunch of words. You sort of kind of deduced, you know, things, uh, mm -hmm. you know, through conversation. And, and so, you know, over time, and even when I worked for him, you know, there were, you know, little comments and things like, you know, will anything ever shine purple in Minnesota? You know, that kind of stuff, you know, mm -hmm. and, and then we would talk about the fact that there was, you know, no disrespect to Target, but, you know, there is a bronze Target dog inside of the Target Center. And, right. and we do have, yeah, I'm just, you know, there's just things, you know, there's a statue of Mary Tyler Moore, who's a fictional character, you know, on Nicolette Mall, you know, there was just things that, and then, and, and he would just mention those things. And, and then, then the Dylan mural happened. Mm. And then, so we, so we just started really kind of talking about, you know, what can we do uh, to, to, to honor him while he was still alive? And we talked about different things like, you know, maybe something on the, over at the Commons Park, which wasn't the Commons Park then by the stadium, because that was still sort of in development. And we, we talked about maybe him, um, you know, programming the music from Paisley Park and kind of freaking people out as they sat in the, you know, park, you know, right, uh, so right. all kinds of different ideas and and then, you know, then we, then we lost him, you know, and, mm -hmm. and so, so, but we knew that he didn't want a statue because in his words, he says, they may mess up my face. And it's very difficult to get a face right on a statue. Right. Mm -hmm. And we all know that Prince was dressed to the nines and he always showed up, you know, on point. So, so the one thing that we knew was that his face was important. Um, and that he did a sanction a mural, you know, that that would be, he would, he would be okay with that. So we just, we do that. So I just moved forward. Uh, and I knew the best person to help with public art, uh, who had just done the Dylan mural and actually almost every mural in downtown Minneapolis was my partner in crime on this, Joan Vorderbruggen. And so we went to Joan and I said, listen, we've got to do this. Um, and she agreed and we just started tackling things and I was very naive drill and I thought that you know I would just you know be able to go to the state of Minnesota and you know ask for a quarter of a million dollars to get things going and you know why would yeah just a quarter of a million it's no big deal right it's just amazing well I mean you know well well it's well thinking about the revenue he's generated for the state I thought it was that was that was fair right I mean he's done billions for us I just needed a quarter of a million you know, to, to, to kick things off. And, and I was so naive to think that everybody would just want to do that. And, and of course the legislator, um, legisl they, they shot me down and they, I did not get the money. And so, um, and so at that point I knew it was going to be a struggle. And then we had the estate, you know, we had to get that piece together and get the family all on board and they all came on board. Um, but because there was no will, we took a minute cause we had to get, you know, permission for name and likeness. Right. You know, so there was things. 
And so, right. and we wanted to do it right. And, and we had to find a location. <laughs> so, so much that happened, right? So right. But we knew that we had to get it done. And we knew that Prince was sort of guiding this thing kind of along the way because it was very difficult. But we, we, but we kept saying, you know, looking over our right shoulder and left shoulder, and nobody was really doing it. Well, not the people that would, should have been doing, you know, state mm-hmm. officials and things like that. And we're like, well, we can, well, we can do it, you know. So uh, I went to the Minneapolis Downtown Council and asked Steve Kramer and his crew if they would be the nonprofit partner. And you know, so as we began to raise money, uh, we would, you know, we needed some place for it to go, you know, and right. and, and exactly. get managed and that sort of thing. So yeah, so they helped us out, which they were really awesome. Um, so that's how it started. And then we, we finally we had to find a location. And we thought it was going to be on the Coles um, stagecoach, uh, cross oh. from the Dillon Mural, right across from mm-hmm. the light rail. We thought it was going to be on the back of the Coles. Um, but I started to think about the, the parking lot adjacent to that building is privately owned. And so we couldn't convince the owner not to sell the property because <laughs> we didn't want, you know, a development to come up over Prince. Right. Uh, right. And so unless we could get the parking lot in the building, it didn't make sense, right? And so... Mm-hmm. We said, okay, it's not supposed to be there. And then one day Joan said, you know what? This needs to be a public work of art. This needs to be something that can never be defaced, that has to have an awesome maintenance package. We need to get guaranteed for 30 years. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's going to take us another five years to do that. But, <laughs> but she was right. She was right. So we went and started talking to the Minnesota Department of Transportation, the city of Minneapolis. And fortunately, they was started to talk about how they wanted to beautify the downtown ramps and do different things because it was like they're just brown brick, right? Right, so right. So eventually, eventually, after a lot of discussion as to whether or not Prince should adorn one of those walls, we won out. And uh, so, we, so the state of Minnesota and the city of Minneapolis uh, gave us, donated Ramp A, uh, for the Prince Mule Project, which we were very delighted. Here's the thing. You haven't talked one thing about the challenges of it. You really didn't. You don't, you don't talk about the challenges because you succeeded, period. That's who you are, right? That's who you are. Once you get to success, it's like, why do I need to talk about that process? No, no. (laughs) It's done. And it is done. I finally saw it yesterday. Yesterday I went to go see it and I almost started, you know, I I got a little choked up just a little bit, you know, looking at it and seeing all of these iterations of Prince from the very bottom picture of him to the top. um, You just kind of, you just say to yourself, oh my God, I was blessed to be you know, to know him, to be a part of what he called well, his to family. to know him, that's right. Yeah, to know him. That's so right. you were that person that he trusted with. I mean, you were at yeah. Glam Slam when it first opened. I think that's where I met that's you right. the first time. That's so right. here you are, you've accomplished that's it. People right. are raving about it. A lot of people came out to see it when it was unveiled. How in the world do you fill up after all that you gave in energy, brain trust, frustration, all of it? How do you fill up now? <laughs> You know, I, you know, I, I think that we got to keep the party moving. I think we should have Prince Rogers Nelson Airport. <laughs> and go, and go, Wait and till I tell Javita that. Into, <laughs> you know, I, we need to, I think we need to be flying in the PRN. That's what, so so I, I just, I just, I just think he's given so much. I think we keep the party moving, you know, just like he told us and be true funk soldiers and just keep going. I, that's what, that's what I think, you know, so as, 
you know, so I hope that what we've done with the Prince Mural Project and then, you know, we renamed the street Prince Rogers. Yes, Nelson you did. Way in between Which I love it. I love that. 700 Black, 700 Black and First Avenue. So, so, you know, why not continue, you know, as we think about the revenue that has been, that he's given us. And I think everybody's heard me say this, you know, Prince was born here. He lived here. He died here. He could have lived anywhere else in the world, but he chose us, Gerland. Yeah, he and stayed. So, and that says something. He stayed. That says something because he could walk around and be himself. We've heard him say that before. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. and he's generated billions of dollars in revenue and tourism for this state. And I just think we should continue to say thank you and honor him. And so that's what's, that's what's next. And uh, I'm just very excited that we were able to do this. And everybody felt amazing being down there at the block party and you know, Doctors Mambo Combo. They, you know, they jammed with, you know, and DJ Mickey Breeze. He was on the, you know, the, you know, uh, on the ones and twos, as it were. And we just had a good right. time. You know, Prince's family, and you know, we had said a few words and we unveiled it. And, and when that was all done, you unveiled yeah. it. Everybody went home. Did you leave town? I did. I went for a few days to North Carolina just to relax a little bit with my girlfriend. Uh, you you know, just to get a change of scenery, get myself there back together. But I'm here now, and I'm going to be ready to hit it, you know, to, tomorrow <laughs> tomorrow morning on with the next big thing, right? But, Gerald, here's what I learned. Perseverance. See, you can't mm-hmm. take no for somebody who can't say yes. And we have to keep moving, and we have to have each other's back. I'm so glad that I was in a position with Joan to have Prince's back. The cavalry is not coming. We must save ourselves. Hmm. So, that's, that's so here I'm you at. are. You are very clear. Here. You were very clear from day one on this. You had the absolute faith. The um, the you were ready to get out and walk, run, or fly to make this work. And that's something that is Absolutely. missing in so many, so many Minnesotans. A lot of that is missing in us. But then we see things like this come to fruition, and there's hope. You know, there's mm-hmm. hope for yes, what you did. Yeah. Right. And so as you watch others that are trying to move forward with other murals or other um, uh, just things that will honor those that we know big, and love in stuff. this great state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the big stuff. The, the thing you've taught mm-hmm. me and in, in watching you do this and talking to you intermittently and figuring out that you may have been upset in one moment. But all the rest of the moments were absolute joy. You know what I mean? And that one moment could really hurt. It can cut you deep. But all of a sudden you remember, no, this is why I'm doing this. And you keep going forward. This is how success happens. And you have that story. So tell me the book that you're writing. I know you are. (laughs) Come on. I know you are. Mm -hmm. I know you are. Come on. It's it's called The Bold You. And um, and that's the new book that I'm writing, because I think that we all have to learn to be bolder and we got to stay off the sidelines. We have to push our tables, our chairs all the way up to the table that, you know, don't you know, sometimes you know how you sit on a chair and your butt are hanging a little bit off. Uh-uh. Right. I want your whole behind <laughs> in the whole chair. Scoot it all up. <laughs> push it all the way up to the table so you can be seen and be heard. So sometimes we have to be bold and radical to be able to make real change. And so I want to teach people how to get that inner boldness because you already have it. It's just that we've been taught, you know, how to be just a tad bit, you know, deferential and, you know, a little bit corporate and, you know, this this sort of thing. 
So I just want everybody to channel their inner boldness because we really don't have time for those of us who can get things done to sit on the sidelines. I need you in the Army. Well, I just want you to know that I am so grateful. I am so grateful for what you and um, how do you pronounce your last name? Joan, Joan, yes. Mm -hmm. And and the the two of you working together as well as others. Who, my my final question is, who was the artist that Mm -hmm. painted that? Tell me about him or her. So Jairo Vega. So so Jairo Vega uh, is uh, a graffiti artist from Miami. uh, And he was one of 60, he was in a pool of 60 artists that Joan had curated from her public um, arts friends, you know, and experts across the nation. And so we started off with a pool of 60 and then we narrowed it down to 10. And then the family and members of the estate, um, close friends and collaborators were part of the Prince Bureau Selection Committee. And they helped us narrow that 10. They interviewed that 10 and they helped us narrow that 10 down to three. Jairo was still in the 10. He made the three. And then the three had the opportunity to turn the tables and interview the family to learn more about Prince, tell their stories, ask questions. And then we were able to give them a stipend to come back, do the designs. And then the family members t- took a look at which design they wanted. And Jairo won unanimously. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so we, I don't know if you can yeah. tell him how grateful we are, but I am one of those that would love to talk to him and tell him how beautiful it is. It is absolutely oh, sure. stunning. I love it. Love it. Love it. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Let me tell you something, honey. This is big. It's huge. And we honor that tonight right here on Still Talking. Thank you, my friend. Well done. Thank you for having me, Zerona. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. My goodness. All right, everyone, as we wrap up this hour, um, just remember, you got to go and see this. It is right on the corner of 1st and 7th. You just have to see it right across from the doors of 1st Avenue. It is just remarkable. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back, everyone. As we wrap up this hour, I want to tell you what it was like for the Steels to sing again at Paisley Park. For the big celebration 2022 is what Prince has been doing since 2000. And so many people have worked so hard to make it happen this year, including including Kirk Johnson. So I just want you to know I am so grateful, so grateful that we had the chance to sing again the songs that Prince uh, wrote and that we recorded. There were videos of it. And I'm just so grateful that we had a chance to be there. All right, coming up next, of course, is Center Stage, all things arts and entertainment. We just believe you ought to know about it. If you don't know about it, honey, we got a lot to tell you, a whole lot to tell you. So um, bottom line is that Center Stage is going strong because of you. You are getting out and seeing all of the shows. You're getting out and making sure that that not only are, are you seeing our shows, but you're going to see museums and, you know, installations and dancers and so much more. It's because of you. You're the ones that are supporting us, and we are so grateful. Um, I will tell you a little bit about the show my brother Fred and I are doing at Crooners on July 14th, so you want to get your tickets as soon as possible. I hope you will come. We are looking forward to it. Just know that center stage is next, honey. You're going to hear a whole lot. Did you know that Emma is coming? It has come. (laughs) No, it's coming to the Guthrie Theater. I love Emma. I love Jane Austen. So there you go. We'll be back in just a moment. 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.